Can we get you anything, Chris? Just a black coffee, please. Yeah, we'll coffee sort that out for you. Where did anybody go? You are here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, man. I love the jacket. What the set? Wow. I feel like I'm in Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't know if this has happened to you. I'm pretty sure it has done. You're watching TV and you're like, wow, this guy's amazing. And then like, I'm boom, a real boy. You're here. I exist. You're in I'm front a, of a me. Real, I'm this a real is, person. Yeah. This is Chris Jericho. But you got to be professional though, man. No, man, I can't be professional. Well, you right have now. to I'm be. I'm fucking freaking out well, right now. What the fuck? Is, we were here, you're, I'm now on your show as a guest. This is mental. Of, of, your, of you guys. Yeah. yeah. So this is cool. But this, just be, be cool. Do this, your thing. This is why I'm here. Because you guys have 1.9 million YouTube subscribers. Yeah. Soon to be two, hopefully. Almost two million. There After this show is done. Yeah. You'll have point. two million. Well, I'm going to take it over the top. That's it. So we're here. Let's fucking rock Let's it, man. Let's fucking do it. You're sort of the king it. of YouTube numbers in a way, because when you look at your YouTube, especially music numbers, you're absolutely killing it. There's like over 50 million views on... For Judas, I think yeah, yeah. it's 55 million. 57, um, I think 57. now. Yeah. But then, what did I just see the other day? I saw a video... Oh, ACDC Thunderstruck. Right. One billion views. It's incredible, isn't it? So it kind of puts things in perspective. It's like, yes, we're doing really good unless you're listening to Thunderstruck. But 57 million is like, that's, that's almost an unimagined. That's like I remember when, when the video, we did the video for, for Judas. It was, I guess, probably almost five years ago. And one of the girls that was in the video said, how many views do you hope this gets? And at the time, I think we had a, a, a video that had a, a million and I was thinking, if this one can get to three million, yeah. that'll be awesome. Now we're at fifty-seven million, so we, we crushed that goal. Yeah. So yeah, it's, and that's kind of the way of the world now. Yeah. How many views do you have? Uh, How many bullshit, followers do you have? Mm -hmm. That sort of a thing. So I suppose um, it's always been that way, but now we can track it. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can track it, and so now when you see those numbers, and that actually is currency in this mm -hmm. day and age. So, so when you say, you know, how many Spotify numbers do you have? How many, you know, YouTube views do you have? And Judas just went gold in the states, which means five hundred thousand units sold. Jesus, right. but nowadays nobody buys music anymore, mm -hmm. right? So it's all based on streams. Mm -hmm. How many streams do you need for the equivalent of 500,000 units sold? 75 million streams. Fuck. Think about right. that. 75 million streams equals 500,000. It's, it's fucked up, right? Uh -huh. I mean, really? Aren't music artists are surely getting a raw end of the deal. Better, Huge raw end of the deal. Right, yeah. You don't make money off albums and music anymore. Right. It's all about kind of, like I said, the streams. And I think for each stream, it's a point zero 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 one cent. So mm -hmm. anyways, that's just, that's how it is nowadays. Uh, so music is now just basically a billboard right. for your band. You put out a record mm. knowing that you're not going to make money off it, but hoping that people listen to it to come see your shows and buy the merch and all that sort of thing. So things have changed, but it's just the way it is. So there you go. That's your, that's your lesson on streaming, ladies and gentlemen. No, I appreciate it. And also... When it comes to music, whenever, obviously, I met you as Chris Jericho, the wrestler, right. and, and then later found out about Fozzy and the band and yes. everything like that. But you know when you hear like someone who's good at one thing wants to do music, like we've, we've seen this with YouTubers doing music in this country, you immediately a bit like, Oh, is this what's this going to sound like? Well, there's always people who are thinking like, oh, it's some kind of novelty thing. Yeah, it's, you know, a, a, a vanity project, and we've heard it all before. Trust me, I've heard it all before. But I was surprised, like I, when I actually listened, for example, to right. Judas, I was like, oh, I, well, and that's the thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this 
for 20 years as a vanity project yeah. and I wouldn't do it if it sucked you know good music is good music it doesn't matter if the singer is a wrestler a butcher a baker a candlestick maker who gives a shit mm-hmm. that lasts for the you know the time frame of one minute of a song it's just like Slipknot wears masks oh that looks stupid how good can they be Kiss wears makeup how good can they be ACDC as a schoolboy. how stupid is that doesn't matter uh, once the music plays then it's either good music or bad music mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons why Fozzie has really gotten to the next level now is that people know now for sure it's like not some kind of you know side project or um, you know it's it's just a great rock and roll band with great songs and great live shows and who cares if Chris Jericho's a wrestler I don't care that Bruce Dickinson is an airline pilot when Iron Maiden <laughs> plays a show I don't want him to tell me about how to fly a plane mm-hmm. conversely if I'm on a plane and Bruce is the pilot. I don't want to hear him sing "Run to the Hills." I want him to fly fly the fucking plane and make no, sure. No, I want crash. both. I want both yeah, at the same time. Well, see, that you're a demanding. Yeah, uh, hey, I've paid uh, to be in business. Well, I expect, that's my I point: that. is fly yeah. the plane, sing the songs, wrestle the match, sing the songs. We don't really combine the two, nor should you, uh-huh. because they're two separate entities. And there's something I, I talked to Rob Zombie about this on my podcast when he started making movies. People were angry. Mm-hmm. How can you? How is Rob Zombie going to make a movie? He's a singer. What does he know about? making movies that's such a stupid attitude to have mm-hmm. how can Chris Jericho sing when he's a wrestler what does what what does that even fucking mean mm. what, what does that mean because you're one thing you can't do something else and I think in this day and age more than ever people do both uh, and when I mean both they do more than one thing but you find that people who are good at doing more than one thing are also good at reinventing themselves at one thing as well and that's one thing that you've done amazingly yes. well like your career being 30 plus years now in wrestling I, I watched this documentary about you before today and I just seen like how many iterations and how you're constantly right what's the next version of me why are you so good at that well first of all thank you um why I don't know I, I think um so I'm a huge David Bowie fan and mm. not necessarily even like knowing every Bowie song and every album just the concept of what Bowie did where he always reinvented himself and you look at Ziggy Stardust to Aladdin Sane to the Thin White Duke to the Tin Machine to the Button Button Eye it was always something new always reinventing you could dress up as David Bowie for Halloween and I could dress up as Dave and you could dress up as Dave and we have everybody's wearing a different costume but you know who it is right yeah and that's one thing that I always wanted to do with Chris Jericho it's like you can dress up as Jericho every Halloween I post pictures of people who dress up as me but they're all different versions of Jericho there's Mm -hmm. 10 different versions that you could dress up Mm -hmm. as that comes from Bowie and the reason is I never wanted to be a nostalgia act Mm -hmm. even 20 years ago on Raw when we had I was looking at Raw and Smackdown we're like okay it's live twice a week every week that's like 104 shows a year. If I'm doing the same thing every show, it gets boring quickly and you become kind of nostalgia. And if I leave uh, the company for a while and come back and do the same thing, it's boring. Mm-hmm. And so I never wanted to do that. So probably on the other side of the coin, I change and evolve whenever I start feeling just a little bit stale. I always call it reading the room. I read the room. What's the, what, how are the fans reacting? You know, now social media is a very valuable tool to judge how people are, are reacting to what you're doing. You know, people complain about everything. That's fine. Always angry about something. But when they start talking in a way where I can think they're starting to get bored of me, time to change it up. 
And so I never have a problem with people like, oh, we love Y2J and we love the list and we love, you know, this. Those are great moments and great points in my career, but I will never go back to it. I will never go back to it because it's done. If I go back to it, it's, it's like, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't mean it's, it's any less cool, but you have to move forward. At least I have to move forward with everything that I do and have these great moments in the past, but they stay in the past because they're, they're a product of their time. I couldn't do Y2J in 2022 because that was a product of 1999. But needed to be that year, didn't it? Well, yeah. yeah and, 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 and it was a great kind of tagline in WWE but then in 2008 when I turned into the suit and tie guy mm-hmm. bad guy Jericho I said don't ever call me Y2J again on commentary there is no more Y2J and there's no more countdown and there's all those things that were kind of synonymous with Jericho mm-hmm. it's done what do you mean I don't ever want you to fucking call me Y2J on commentary again because that's done we need to move forward and let people know this is a new character it's a new guy how did people react to that because i also they hate, they, well, they hate it at first i mean not the public but within the company because you've built a very strong brand and like other wrestlers yeah. you know undertaker people but, like that they're known for certain things but undertaker changed too if you absolutely look. He was biker yeah, yeah. undertaker and he he was very good at being almost a bowie style character in wrestling of, of still staying the undertaker but changing mm-hmm. the vibe of it you can't do the same thing every show every week every month every year it just gets stale and the last thing you want to be as a performer whether it's music or wrestling or comedy or football or whatever it is the last thing you want is to be stale and i'm really good at smelling the staleness before anybody else does and changing so it looks like i'm ahead of the curve rather than being behind it but i always can like i said when you smell that staleness it it's not very, very, uh, it doesn't take long for, for everyone else to. It could be a week, like it could be two weeks. And when it happens, it happens quick. And then and then you kind of get put into the also ran category. I never wanted to be there. When I look at you doing that compared to some other top guys in the business, I feel like you have really done that better than them. Like when I look at The Rock, no disrespect, but The Rock's basically played the same character in every movie for the last 15 years, and he's been the same wrestler for the last 20. Um, that's no disrespect. It's, it's an amazing trick, but people it's, it. it's people are obsessed with it. But I, I don't know. I find it it's a skill in itself, what you've managed to do. Looking back at um, when you did start off against The Rock, what an entrance that was. Like, that was... They, they called that the greatest debut in the history of wrestling. You've, you've had quite a lot of these moments that people go, that was the best that we've seen. The first time that anyone's been undisputed. How does it feel looking back at your career now knowing you've had all those moments? Like, Well, I mean, it's always cool to look back at those things. Um, and maybe, you know, someday... Well, actually, I was going to say sitting in a rocking chair on the porch, which I'll never do. Fucking kill me if I ever do that. Um, <laughs> what will you do? I, I'll just, dude. I saw the Stones on Sunday at Hyde All Park, right, yeah. and like, like that's that's me. I look at Mick, and he's not just oh, he's he's so good for seven. No, he's just fucking good. They're just a great rock and roll band, and they're the best rock and roll band. And I see a lot of concerts and listen to a lot of music, and the Stones are still the best. Not for their age. I hate that. The Stones are so good for their age. Fuck that. They're fucking good for any age. Any age. And any rock and roll band needs to bow down to the greatness of the Stones and also to the inspiration that you get from watching them. So I see Mick and the energy that he has and... 
it's like that's this is going to be me at 78 um whatever i'm doing in entertainment i've been in, i've been in entertainment since i was 19 years old it's like in show business and that what that's what wrestling is it's show business so um anyways to answer your question looking back on those big moments is always cool and that's one thing i like about social media is they'll say today today i had one of the greatest matches of my career against Ultimo Dragon in Tokyo that was the match that essentially got me into ECW and WCW. It happened 27 years ago today. I would never know that except for social media. So sometimes those anniversaries come up, you're like, fuck, that's really cool. And then I go back and think about that match or maybe watch some highlights of it. And you're like, Mm -hmm. man, that was a good match or that was a good entrance with The Rock. But I don't, you know, plant my flag in it and 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 think that was the greatest moment of my career because it, it was one of many. And when people say, "What's the greatest incarnation of Chris Jericho?" I always say this one right now because if I say, "Oh, the the YTJ was the best," or "The List guy was the best," or "The Suit and Tie guy was, was the best," that would infer that what I'm doing right now sucks. <laughs> so, what's the best Chris Jericho right now? I mean, that's the in that's the point of evolving, and I agree with you. Yeah. You're clearly taking it to new levels, and but it's up to not to interrupt you, but it's up to the fans and the people that appreciate my work. You guys decide what your mm-hmm. favorite Jericho was, mm-hmm. and you can choose anyone you want yeah. to. It's that that's your right, and I love the fact that there's all these eras that you can choose. But to me, I have to stay current and have to stay in the now. And I really do believe that the Chris Jericho now is my favorite because it, there's so many great things happening. So that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. You have yours, you have yours. And that's the beauty of, of being a fan of wrestling or music or anything. You can choose whatever you want. I like the next Chris Jericho. <laughs> yeah, the next <laughs> one's yeah. really good. One, just, of, yeah. one of the themes behind your career, I feel, is pushing the boundaries and, and, and pushing up against authority. And if and when I watch these all these documentaries, I've watched about you now I'd it's like, like to see these documentaries they're, they're good they're fun I don't know if I've yeah. seen them. they're very good oh, and it seems like you got pissed off a lot by being held back now obviously the WE favoured the monsters the giants and you came from a different angle of not you weren't a small guy but obviously your attributes were different to theirs and it felt like just when I thought you were the guy that they were going to push and they'd, they'd hold you back a little bit and it, it does feel like there was a lot of frustrations there over the years what is it like to feel I, I should be the guy now but yet they, they won't let yeah. me just run with it I never like obviously you would have frustrations but it's business and you have to be a big boy you know mm-hmm. what I mean uh, the WWE is a giant machine and it's run by Vince McMahon. Obviously, it's an it's it's an audience of one. It, it, it was. It, yeah. It I really mean, uh, it really is. I mean, you have yeah. to be. Vince has to want to make you the guy. It doesn't matter if a million people want you to be the guy. If Vince doesn't see it, you're not. It doesn't matter if a million people don't want you to be the guy. If Vince wants it, it uh-huh. happens. So I had been in the business for nine years before I got to WWE. And had worked on top in all those com- companies and countries, Japan, mm-hmm. Mexico, you know, ECW, WCW. And I wasn't like the, the world champion, but you can, once again, you know how to navigate and you know how to play the game and you understand the politic side of wrestling. So I was, you know, at times when when you feel held back or, or all those things, yeah, it was there, but I also knew it was like, tough luck, fucking pull up your pants and be a big boy, Jericho. Like... This is just the way it is. So I always strive to do better. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why I think in 2008, when I keep referencing suit and tie guy, Jericho, that was the first time in eight years of working for Vince that he saw in me what I saw in me. Mm -hmm. This guy can be the guy. And I was the guy in that company in 2008 Mm -hmm. and 2009. I called myself the best in the world at that time, and I believed it. Not every night, but most of the time, there's nobody in the world that's better than Chris Jericho as a pro wrestler. Go to Japan, give me fucking all the names from there or whatever else. Nobody's better than me. And I think that's when Vince felt the same. So it took a while, but I earned that spot Mm -hmm. and never... You can't go into it with bitterness and thinking, they owe me this. The business owes you nothing. That's the number one rule that we learned in, in the Hart Brothers camp in 1990. The business owes you nothing. So don't ever think that you fucking are worthy of a career, deserve a career, because you have to keep working always. I'm working my ass off now. Mm. AEW owes me nothing. Oh, you're Chris Jericho. Who gives a shit? Great. I'm Chris Jericho. But I still, because I'm Chris Jericho, there's still a level of quality that I have to bring to the table to continue to keep the spot that I have. Mm -hmm. I have to earn it every day. There's no sitting back and resting on your laurels in pro wrestling or any job. Because when you start feeling that way, that's when you start going down. And then you're like, well, I'm Chris Jericho, I deserve this, this. You don't deserve anything. You deserve what you're getting and what you're giving at any uh, at the given moment of right now here in 2022. So yes, there was frustrating times, but in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm better than this. They don't see it yet, but they will. Because I did it in Japan, and I did it in Mexico, and I did all these places working on tops. So when I got to WWE, even there were t- there were times when things sucked, I still knew I know how to do this, and they will see it soon enough, and they did. The Vince McMahon thing's interesting. He's going through a lot right now. Uh, what do you make? Because it, it's kind of storyline comes reality. Like, we watch this guy joke around about getting into compromising positions with employees and Trish Stratus bending over in front of him and all these funny moments of people kissing his ass in the middle of the ring. And now all of a sudden, um, it's it's alleged that, you know, he paid someone off a good few million to keep quiet after an affair. Is there surprise within the wrestling industry that that happened? Not really. I mean, is there surprise in any industry when it happens? And, and, and really, you know, when you look at it, it's really not illegal. He had an affair, paid the lady off to not say anything, and mm-hmm. moved on. So it's almost like, okay, and? Yeah. Um, people want to jump on it, but there's still always a undertone of it's wrestling. Oh, it's just wrestling. And if you look, that story came out with a bang, and then you really haven't heard anything about it since. Yeah. If this was you know, Hollywood with Harvey Weinstein and that sort of thing. But the difference between that was he was holding women back from getting gigs, Harvey Weinstein. Either bang me or you don't get the starring role. This has never been said in Vince's thing. There was a mutual acknowledgement of this affair, and then he paid the lady to say nothing, and she took the money. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I really know Vince well, and it sucks that it happened. It sucks that he did it, but is anything really going to happen from it? I really don't think so. He, he's putting a, a public fr- a front on. He's, yeah. he's certainly not acting like someone who's got anything to be ashamed of. He never the, does. He, well, the, he never does. The does. fact that he walked out on SmackDown straight away and announced SmackDown as if to say, I'm what? That's Vince McMahon. Yeah. Fuck and you. then he, he then he was at the UFC on the weekend. Like, what are you going to do about it? Suit it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think that it'll come and go. Um, 
And once again, is it morally right? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Is it illegal? No. Is it something that is going to get him in real trouble? I don't think so because once again, unfortunately, oh, it's just Vince McMahon. It's just wrestling. Of course he's going to do that. So, you know, those, those things come and go and they happen and it's too bad, but I really think it doesn't really matter in the long run. And, you know, six months from now, I'll either be right or I'll be wrong. What's your relationship been like with Vince? Like, because I, I always wonder what it's like to try to make uh, at least a meaningful relationship or a le- relationship where you have some leverage with a billionaire who runs the whole company who is this audience of one yeah, but Vince, and to get close to him do Vince, you know what I mean Vince is just a lad at heart really you know what I mean he's just a fucking dude and yes he is very intimidating and he's a billionaire and he's you know the creator of, of this massive iconic company but deep down he's just a dude that likes to hang out, likes to joke and likes to drink. But everybody that surrounds him, not everybody, but so many people, he's surrounded by yes men, as most guys in that position are. He doesn't want yes men, you know? And I had a really good relationship with him. I don't have much of a relationship with him now because obviously I don't work for him. So there's a little bit of a career issue. But if I text him right now, he texts me back in five minutes, always. Um, I loved working for Vince McMahon. I loved how Vince would challenge me and push me. And I also laugh when people say, oh, Vince has lost it. And, oh, look at Vince. He's terrible booker and all this other stuff. Maybe it's not great sometimes, but you're also dealing with a guy who's been doing this for 40 years. Imagine doing this for 40 years. I remember when I left in 2005, I said, I need to get away. And he said to me, I wish I could get away sometimes, but I can't. Like kind of wistfully for like three seconds, and he was back to Vince McMahon. Like, of course, it's hard to do this job. But what Vince do does the best, and people don't know this unless you really work closely with him, is that he used to say, uh, "Like, how am I supposed to do this, Vince? I don't know. I just book the shit. You make it work." <laughs> wow. I like okay, that. so then I'll come back with an idea, and I've got this perfectly you know, formulated idea. And let's pretend the idea is this, is this water bottle here, right? And here it is, Vince. Here's my idea, this water bottle and it's half full and it says Evian on it and it's gonna, this, it's gonna make fucking a million dollars for us, I know. And he'll look at it and think about the idea. Now, most people, if we were talking right now and I started thinking, after about 30 seconds, if you weren't on the air, you feel compelled to jump in and talk, create, sound don't do that with Vince if he's thinking let him think he doesn't want to hear your stupid you know small talk he'll just sit there and sometimes it's 30 seconds and sometimes it's a minute it's very uncomfortable but he's thinking and then what he'll do is take the water bottle and like turn it let's say 180 degrees and then you see this idea that I came up with that I thought was brilliant and this one little small twist that he adds to it makes it a, from a good idea to a great idea. Mm-hmm. That's what that's the genius of Vince McMahon. With me, he never came up with the genesis and the, and the foundation of the idea. I would. But when I would present it to him, he would add the one little part that made it great. Mm-hmm. And most of the big hits and some of the stuff we discussed already was made great by just the little twists that Vince added to it. Like, for example, the the the, the greatest entrance of all time, as you as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was at a, a post office, and there was a countdown clock, countdown to the new millennium, which was like at the time three months, 
uh, you know, five days, six hours, 12 minutes and 10 seconds, nine seconds, eight, and it was just running this clock. And I was like, that's a perfect way for me to come into the WWE, the countdown clock. So um, his addition to it was that the countdown would hit zero right in the middle of The Rock's promo. That was the genius that he added. I never thought of that. I would never suggest that. I just thought it would end and, you know, maybe at the beginning of the show or it would end and I would appear. He's like, it ends right in the middle of The Rock's countdown. Like, just little things like that. Like, fuck, that's the, that's, that's the classic part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, Y2J, I, I was pitching to him as the name of my finish. And he's like, no, 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 that's not the name of your finish. That's, that's your name. And I was like, me? Like, yeah, you're Y2J. And I was like, really? And fuck, man. I mean, people still chant it to this day. Little, I thought of the idea and the, and the term Y2J. He's the one who saw the overall picture that's much more valuable for, for the name of you to be that. So that's kind of Vince's genius is, is the twists and turns that he adds to these ideas that make them really, really great. Just absorb. Did you guys have to go to Brazil for a fucking coffee or what? Yeah. Uh, actually, it's actually coming up in the lift right now. Is it really? I've been, I've I love been... how it's a big production, like Jericho's Coffee. I'm expecting a butler we, to we, show up with a silver well, platter. Geo might come out with that. It, it does piss me off. A when giant, giant cup of coffee. No, we're actually roasting or, the beans ourselves. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead. The new guy who's taken over the wrestling business, someone who you've worked with a lot, Triple H. Uh, he's, is he taking it over it, though? It seems that, is he? Well, is I, he? Could, I could be I wrong. Know. Oh, right. We but, don't know, right? But it seems like, well, Vince is very much still hands-on, which is surprising me to me. Vince's mother just passed away at 101 years old. Jesus. So I used to call Triple H Prince Charles. Uh-huh. Thank God it wasn't the other one. <laughs> no, yeah. but seriously, Prince Charles is the king, right? Yeah. Uh, until the queen passed away. And she's, she's been fucking 30, 40 years. She yeah. ain't going anywhere. It's like Triple H is the Prince Charles of wrestling in that Vince will be so he's supposed old. to take it over, but it might be a long time. I think Vince is 78, so yeah. it could be another 20 years. So, and he's not going anywhere. Vince, I, I don't think Vince will ever give up the throne. He'll have to die before. Yeah, I agree. That'd yeah, be a good storyline. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right it kind of is yeah it seems like Shane has been passed over and it seems like they're leaning more towards Triple H anyway um, well they were but then then it seemed over the last six to eight months that they kind of stepped away from that so I mean I don't know uh, I don't work there anymore but yeah. maybe maybe he, yeah, was, maybe he will be the heir apparent but who knows there was rumors of him and uh, Stephanie parting ways but that doesn't look like it's happening because they were seen together recently hmm. but um, he's good at the politicking yeah. though I think isn't thank he thank you wow see Appreciate apologies fresh Chris. what we'll do is we'll cut that in as if that came at the start of the pod no keep it this is real you guys want the real behind the scenes story absolutely and part Part of it is that it took you guys 30 minutes to get me a cup of fucking coffee. Sorry. No, absolutely. <laughs> we like to keep you guessing. There was actually a countdown in the back and we wanted <laughs> it to be a yeah. promo. The coffee countdown. Um, but yeah, so so maybe he'll take over um, when Vince is, is ready to leave his post, aka when he dies. But it could be a long time. It must be difficult to balance all that. That like you know, obviously wrestling kind of takes an element, a huge element of ego, right? Well, I think anything in show business does. But right. Yeah. But with with say a Triple H, and then obviously Vince has got his own ego. There are a lot of things to kind of manage. Yeah. yeah. You know, all rubbing up against each other. How did you sort of fit into that? Because I, in listening to you tell some of your stories. I always find it interesting. Obviously, you've got, you know, your great ideas. You speak about WrestleMania 29 when you had to bring in Fandango and you kind of, you, you're almost quite, I think what a lot of people appreciate you in this long-winded monologue is that you, you're quite giving as a wrestler in that sense. And a lot of other but, people but, but, appreciate but you, but, that. But you act as though I'm like, 
such a great guy for being giving. It's your fucking job. Like, that's what the job is, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been able to do this for so long at, at a high level is you have to be giving. You have to create new stars. And I remember back when I first started, it was like, you know, no one's going to take my spot. Hmm. And, you, and you know, I don't want to give up my spot. And it's all about your spot. No, nobody is taking Chris Jericho's spot because nobody can do what I can do. There's only one Chris Jericho. So to continue to stay relevant and to continue to contribute and be a top guy, the definition of that is to be giving, to create new stars. When we started AEW, it was solely on my back. I really believe that. Because if you look at the roster, unless you were a hardcore wrestling fan, no one fucking knew any of those guys. I didn't even know what AEW was. And then I heard that you were joining AEW. I was like, oh, what's this then? So there's a perfect so, example. Exactly. So Chris Jericho's there? Yeah. Really? I didn't even well, know Well, let's that. check it out. And then yeah. you see all the other you know great guys. But I knew right out of the gate, I have three to six months to make as many stars as I can. Because if not, I can't... As great as, as as I am and as great as I think I am, if I'm the only guy in the show for six months and the only star, it's gonna die. Mm-hmm. It is. I can't I can't do it all. I'm not fucking, you know, Michael Jackson or Elvis or somebody like that. So I knew very quickly I had to create stars right out of the gate. And that's why we concentrated on reinventing Cody. Think about Cody when when AW started. He was not the Cody that he is now. Nobody knew who Kenny Omega was. Uh Darby Allen, mm-hmm. Scorpio Sky, Moxley. He was not the guy that he is now when he came into our company. Um excuse me, Jungle Boy. All of those guys I worked with early on in the process to let people know young bucks inner circle the first night we created inner circle to show here's some new guys who's sammy guevara i didn't know who santana ortiz was jake hager was not the guy he is now he was a a, 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 a useless character in wwe mm-hmm. so we built these stars in three months and that's when we got a television deal for 160 million dollars for four years when we started we were an ad revenue share ad rev is what it's called what does that mean any company that buys advertising on our show, we split it with the network. Mm-hmm. That's the money that we're making. You're not getting a dime. What was the split? I don't know. Fuck, so let's say it's 50-50, whatever. How much, how much, how much is an ad cost? $10,000? Here's five grand. What's five grand do? Nothing. Mm-hmm. So in those three months, mm-hmm. we built the company to where our demos were so good. And when I say that I'm the demo god, it's a real thing. The demo is the number one most important thing for television revenue. Uh, and the demos were so good. That's how we got that huge TV deal, $160 million for four years, like I said solely because of the work that I did and all of us, but to build the stars. So that's my job is to be giving. Had I not been giving, we might've not got that television deal. We might not be in business today. So it's my job to be giving. And it's the, it's the most important thing for me to do at this point in my career, uh, to spread this star power to as many guys and girls that I can but you do you do seem relentlessly positive and I, and I think that's that's what a lot of people do like about you I think a lot of your colleagues like the same but was was there ever a moment where you were a bit like I have given quite a lot here you know you're a bit like fuck this I'm gonna be the the guy who acts like you well, know I remember guy. one time I had a hair versus hair match against Kevin Nash mm-hmm. and it was uh, I think in Grand Rapids Michigan and I was trying to put together this match I don't remember if Nash wasn't there or if he was like not 
interested in and Nash Kev is, is, is a great guy and, and fucking nothing but respect and love for him but at the time he was something was wrong with him that day and he was something like I can't remember exactly but I remember thinking fuck this I'm sick of trying to be the guy that puts together the match and be the guy that makes this fucking dude look good if he doesn't care I don't care I'll go out there and have a fucking shitty match I don't give a shit and I said that to Pat Patterson I'm gonna go out there and have a shitty match I don't care and Pat goes no you won't I said what do you mean Pat he goes you you can't you don't have it in your DNA <laughs> to go out and have a shitty match you care too much and he was right I care too much so maybe sometimes you get frustrated and angry and pissed off but once again this is big business so be a be a man pull up your pants and be a man and um you're quite a brave guy well you have to be to be in this business mm. you know you have to be to i heard be. you once stood up the brock lesnar yeah i did how did can you I don't, and I'd, I'd fucking stand up to him again right now in what, the moment what I, I believe you what uh what led to that happening he was doing a match with randy orton and he was basically like just butchering him with elbows to the head mm. and I didn't know if it was planned or not and nobody would tell me if it was planned or not and listen wrestling is is a hard hitting sport but elbows to the side of the head can kill you your temple if you get hit hard enough in the temple you die especially with Brock Lesnar well or, yeah but yeah. especially with anybody have you ever heard of David and Goliath that's yeah. how Goliath died mm -hmm. from getting a fucking rock to his temple <laughs> so when David he, was very good though when he was hitting him with the, with, the, with the elbows I was just like if this is real uh, it's bullshit if it's been called it's still bullshit he's taking liberties and it pissed me off and I was in Gorilla and I was fucking angry about it and Brock came through and he saw me angry about it and decided he wanted to come challenge me and we got into a little bit of an issue and I was like fuck this guy I don't give a shit how big he is like, I don't fucking care that's fucking wrong mm -hmm. and I will fight to the death if, I, if I, I will stand up for what I believe in to the death and I remember being like literally nose to nose with the guy and he's laughing and he's like you know he was actually saying things that would probably get him cancelled if, <laughs> if I said if I said them to him now. <laughs> like homophobic terms that you shouldn't be saying fuck um and I was like, fuck it. How did that make you feel? Hold on. I was like, fuck, I'm going to bite his fucking nose off. I'm going to bite his nose off. Like, I see this you, big, this giant, right? fat nose. And I'm like, if he comes any closer and takes a swing at me, I'm literally, I'm not even, I'm not even saying it as a, as a tough guy. I'm literally going to bite his fucking nose off. <laughs> and I can see it right now. And I remember King Haku had done that. It was, it was, a, it was a good friend of mine. It's a good friend of mine. I bit someone's nose off once. I'm like, I'll bite his fucking nose off. See how tough he is then. He might kill me, but he's going to walk around for the rest of his life with no fucking nose. So that's how it made me feel. I didn't care about the homophobic thing. I don't give a shit. I, I wasn't, I wasn't falling for it. Right. I was just yeah. This has gone to the next level now. This is fucking kill or be killed, uh -huh. and I'm going to bite your fucking nose off. Whoa. And then it got broke. Right. Triple H tried to break break it up. And we both told him to fuck off, which was hilarious. <laughs> and then and then Vince got involved, and that and that's kind of he got involved and, and basically, you know, broke it up and told me that he had told Brock to do that, but no one else would say anything before that. And whatever, whatever the reasoning was, that's between Brock and Randy and Vince, it's mm -hmm. none of my business. But when it got down to the, to the, you know, the confrontation, it was real, you know, and it, in, you know, had it gone to the next step, I, I, I swear to God, I would have bitten his nose off. You can crush my face, but I will bite your nose have, off. Have, have you ever- Bit someone's nose off? Have you ever had someone take liberties with you? in the ring though where you've where you've had words afterwards and going what the fuck was early, that early early on in my career it happened a few times 
especially when you went to other countries. Mm. When you, I remember in Japan it happened, in Mexico it happened. But once again, then you just go back to you know I, I grew up playing pro uh, playing hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, someone gets Canada. Yeah, and fucking body check them or punch them yeah. in the face or whatever it may yeah, be. So if someone's taking liberties with you, like one time is a mistake, two times coincidence, three times okay, now he's. Now he's doing this for okay. on purpose, and then you just gotta stop it. And and because m- most bullies, how do you stop it? Just punch them back. Uh-huh. Let them know that I'm, I'm not playing this game with you. Actually, you're in a compilation of for a good reason. On uh, I seen this the other day on YouTube of uh, wrestlers who saved another wrestler. I don't know if you know this, but there's a moment where Jeff Jesus, Hardy documentaries. And- yeah, me, I do my research. Uh, there's a moment where Jeff Hardy's doing uh, some sort of moon salt off the ropes, and it doesn't go right, and he slips, and you sort of push him. And in that moment, you react so fast and you are so switched on. And if you don't push him, the guy could have broken his neck or anything. Um, you know, is that common for you? Is that you're constantly well, trying to look after it, these guys? I don't guys, think or? it's like, yes, you, you look after each other. Mm-hmm. And the, the Jeff Hardy one, it's not like I had some kind of a revelation of like, I must save this man. But you even made it look like a mo- like like you were hurting him. But well, in reality, I mean, that's part of being a pro. It I was mean, genius. Things happen in the match. Mm. You know, like uh, the the thing the, the fucking word I hate the most that fans use is botch. Uh-huh. Oh, you botched that one. Shut your fucking mouth. There is no such thing as a botch. This is a live show. Mm-hmm. Mistakes happen because why? Because you were human beings and we're live. If it's a movie. I bet you there's a million mistakes in every movie. And you take two, take five, take 20, take mm-hmm. 50. We have one take. So if someone falls down, you fucked up, fuck you. I'll punch you in your fucking face for saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pe- people made a mistake. But it's not like embarrassing. Yeah, it sucks. Mm-hmm. It, we wish it didn't happen, but it's live. Especially with a Jeff Hardy. I mean, he tries all sorts. It's well, not always going to be. It happens all the time. Yeah. If, you, if you watch like a hockey game or a football game, you know, guys skating down the ice and takes a shot at the open net and misses the net. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? You think that guy doesn't wish he had another chance at it, but it's done. Mm-hmm. If it happens in a hockey game, the fans don't all start chanting in unison, you fucked up, you fucked up. If you go to a Broadway play and someone fumbles their lines, people don't start chanting, you fucked up, you fucked up. You go to a wrestling match and miss a hip toss, people start chanting that. It's bullshit. It's fucking disrespectful. And wrestling fans walk the line of being disrespectful. And it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody's, uh, you know... uh, uh, you know, everybody's got a fucking opinion on social media, but you would never say that to somebody's face. Mm-hmm. And the same thing sitting in the crowd. Hall of Fame, W Hall of Fame, and people are fucking booing the Bushwhackers for being in the Hall of Fame. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. I remember them. They yeah. were my, two of my first action figures. You always say that. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But people were, were making fun of those guys for getting in the Hall of Fame at the Hall of Fame ceremony. How dare you? I can't believe that. How dare you? Go back and watch it. They're yeah. chanting and saying shit or whatever it was. So that to me is like, yeah, I love wrestling fans if there were if there were no fans there'd be no career for Chris Jericho but you guys got to keep it in check sometimes and show some respect there's a weird line isn't there yeah, oh, yeah. And, it's the pantomime element of it yeah, in a but way. You, but yeah so anyway so botch botch there is no botch there's mistakes that happen because it's a live and people have died in that ring so that for that yeah. reason the respect should be there because always yeah you're, you're you putting know? your bodies on the line and it and it's surprising how easy the things have gone wrong in the past like I've seen 
like some of these videos where guys have died there in, in the middle of wrestling moves and stuff like that. I think there was yeah, this. Yeah, guys die, guys get paralyzed, yeah. guys get hurt really badly. Fuck. You know, I mean, we just had the blood and guts the other day with some of the most insane things you'll ever see. And Santana tears, you know, I'm not, I don't even know what the injury is, so I don't want to say uh-huh. it. But wh- whatever the injury was, he fucked up his knee from doing yeah. a simple rock bottom. Yeah. That's not on the top of a cage. That's not falling off a cage. That's not getting hit with a barbed wire bat or whatever. Uh-huh. It's doing a wrestling move and he's out for eight months. So uh-huh. it happens. There's the mental health issue of it as well from the research I've been doing is like you look at uh, Jeff Hardy. I mentioned him like clearly uh, put his body on the line for years, but also his, his mind is obviously taken. Uh, it's taken a toll on him. Uh, right. you, you, you've wrestled Jeff uh, a, a lot, I would imagine. Um, well, 20 years ago, but really? I haven't wrestled him since then. Really? Okay. Well, what do you what do you make of it when a wrestler is publicly in the ring, not in a fit state to wrestle, and that's well, it's of- one. Of the, I, I've been fairly lucky, and I've never experienced that. Uh-huh. If I did, I'd end the match instantly. Really? Okay. You have to. Yeah. You know, um, and and that's once again being you know alcoholism or you know drug addiction and all those things i mean it is a, a disease so uh-huh. um i've never wrestled drunk uh-huh. and never as far as i know wrestled anybody that was drunk uh-huh. so but if it ever happened like i say you, you would have to end it quickly because you could get hurt you could hurt each other yeah, yeah it is unprofessional and jeff would probably be the first one to tell you that it seems like it's the pain that you guys have suffered uh that that leads them down this road it's like i'm in pain and then they start with the pain pills and then they mix that with some alcohol and, and before they know it that's a routine and even brock lesnar mentioned that when he came into the ufc he said it's actually healthier for me being in a cage getting punch than what it is being on the road in wrestling because that's actually way harder to do regularly you know in the UFC you kind of go into that octagon fighting fit and uh, you don't have to keep doing it in front of everyone week after week it's the maintenance yeah right um, how do you, like how do you maintain your body when you're out on the road? Because you're just sort of you're traveling hotel, traveling hotel. It must be a real challenge for you guys. Yeah, but it's not hard once you learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, I mean, you just if you're on a diet, you just bring your food with you. You know, and you you know, sleep when you're tired and mm-hmm. eat when you're hungry and that sort of thing. So that that's never been an issue for me being on the road. I, I've been on the road since I was 19, so you can use that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Right. But but you can also make it work it just depends what mindset you have one person I want to discuss with you uh, one of the biggest shocks for me as a wrestling fan uh, was Chris Benoit um, I was a big fan as most people were at that point and obviously the Eddie Guerrero death and then his death in that year you were close with both of them when I watched your early years you wrestled them a lot and seemed really tight with them I mean, for for losing both of them, how did that impact you? And especially the Chris one, like it was such a a bizarre thing to happen that it didn't seem like anyone could have seen that coming. No, I mean that's that was what made it so horrible. Is is nobody saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris was a great guy, you know, and he was an honorable guy. Like if I had to leave my kids with somebody for the weekend on an emergency I would have no problems leaving them with with Chris so Mm -hmm. um, to this day we still don't know why Mm -hmm. you know and you'll never know why and you know I've heard every theory right Mm -hmm. even demonic possession like every theory in between Um, is there an accepted theory amongst his friends and peers that this is what we think happened. That's or? a great question, but I don't really think so because none of us really. There was the brain damage thing that a lot of people uh, yeah, were pushing. Yeah, still, I understand that, mm. but 
and listen, to kill his wife is beyond comprehension, but killing your own son, that to me is the one where it gets, it gets to mm-hmm. me. So uh, that's the, you know, and like I said, it's, that's the unforgivable portion of the whole story to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like when people are mentally so ill, they have these notions of I'm taking him with me sort of thing. Yeah, I that's, guess. that's one of the theories that people put forward for when people do that. It, once once like I said, we can analyze it mm. till the cows come home. Yeah. Bottom line is, I don't know what happened. We'll never know. And mm. it's a terrible tragedy because uh, at, the, at the end of the day, Chris was a great friend of mine, mm-hmm. you know, and he was a great family man as well. So we'll never know what happened. Um, and we just have to move forward, maybe thinking of the good part of his life, which mm-hmm. was everything up until that last weekend. And that's the way I look at it. From a professional standpoint, it's hard for me to watch a, a Jericho Benoit match, but I'll talk about them all day really? long because that's part of my career. There's some, some of my greatest matches involved him. Mm-hmm. So I have to continue to think about him in that respect, uh, but still very angry and never will understand what happened. So You wrestle China a lot. And I really remember that quite vividly because I remember finding it so believable that this woman was beating the hell out of this man. And a lot of people said that that was one of the ways that the WE in the back kind of gave you a lot of credit. Like, he's really carrying her and he's doing such a great job with her. And it felt like you proved a lot. What was it like wrestling China? Terrible. Really? She was terrible to work with. Um, she wasn't good, but she thought she was. <laughs> and she also was in a position where they were pushing her really big that mm. she could beat up guys. Mm-hmm. She couldn't. Obviously. And, and, and like... Um, like but we, but the, but, as viewers, but, we bought But it. I never got that credit. No one ever once said, you're making her look good. It was, uh, it was the other side of the coin. Oh. I, I got in big trouble from working with her because at one point, I remember when I first started working with her, Vince was like don't treat her like a woman, treat her like a wrestler. And she was really stiff too, mm. which means she worked very strong. Listen, and, and, and I'm not saying, talking bad of her, I'm just telling the truth. So when we worked together, it was a solid fight in a lot of ways. And I remember one time she got a little bit of a black eye from me and you would have thought I cut her arm off with a chainsaw like I got in so much trouble and I was like fuck like I, I didn't do it on purpose but I mean they, they're having you wrestle her what do yeah. they what do you expect <laughs> so um, it was it was a tough position for me to be in it was my first real angle in the WWE my first story mm. um, but uh, but once again I mean I did the best that I could and I think her best matches that she ever had were with me absolutely hopefully prove something to the people that I had to prove things to but there was a lot of issues with working with her yeah. That's so fascinating mm-hmm. because when I was watching this documentary, I was like, like I remember that angle so clearly. You're making this documentary sound like a fucking masterpiece. I know, so, man. Yeah, it sounds Fuck. amazing. No, don't, don't, don't watch this shit, shit anymore. Shit, turn on the podcast. Turn documentary. on the documentary. I also, I also, I was kind of like, wow, China was kind of hot. Like, I kind of no, forgot. don't even don't act like you just realized that because it is on an almost weekly basis that you mentioned <laughs> that. What? No, it's uh, well, Stephanie McMahon was my sort of right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the boss's daughter vibe. Oh uh, yeah. yeah if sure. I was Triple H, I would have done the same thing. I would have been like, I, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> to be fair, if you were Triple H, I don't think you'd have pulled off. The was there skepticism of Triple H when that was the the affair happened and obviously he left China for Stephanie? Where people were like, see what you're doing there. 
cozying up to the boss's door. Oh, people, people are just like, fuck, talking about this now. I don't know if people have that kind of banter backstage. Yeah, mm. man. I mean, I, 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 I would love to tell you that there was a huge discussion about it, but mm. it was kind of like, it's really none of my business. Yeah, and fuck it. Yeah, exactly. It happens and mm. fuck whatever. I mean, what does it ma- matter to me, you know? Is there a lot of politicking between wrestlers in that sense? Like, do you guys talk a lot or is it literally just, hey, you're paired up with him, get in the ring, go practice this? How, how well, does it work? There's, yeah, there's a lot of politicking, but, um, you know, like I said, like, it, like it, it's like the MJF thing that's going on right now. People ask me about it. It's like, if it, if it doesn't directly relate to me, I stay out of it. What, it can you lot. explain that? Because I've, 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 this guy has invaded my social media. So he's <laughs> doing something right, this MJF character, right? Like, I'm an old school wrestling fan, so when there's a big wrestling event on, I'll, I'll pay attention. But, but this guy, he cut a promo where he seemed to go off script, and a lot of people were saying it was good. But when, when you're saying there's controversy, what, what is that, sorry? Well, once again, like well, my point was, whatever issue that he has, and the reason why he cut the promo and all that other thing is like, it's got nothing to do with me, mm. so I stay out of it. Um, is it an angle? Is it a story? Maybe, um, but whatever issues there, like it doesn't affect me either way. So uh-huh. that's something for fans to debate. And for me, it's like, well, if it's an angle and it pays off by making us money, then it worked. If it doesn't make us money and doesn't make him a bigger star, well, then it really didn't. It's definitely serve his it's definitely increased his profile because well, it's got people talking. I mean, right? I know who he is now, and and generally speaking, like oh. I, you know, with him being with AAW, I am less aware of their wrestlers than WWE because they're they're financial push. They can right. push who they want. You know what I mean? I've got no interest in Roman Reigns, but I can't go anywhere without seeing his face. Right. Um, so the kid did something well in terms of like old school wrestling versus new school it feels like to me at least the believability and the blurred lines of reality versus what's scripted back in the day it it felt like those lines were a lot more blurred and now if you watch the WWE you can see it's reading things verbatim almost and it is quite forced sometimes Whereas maybe with AEW, it's they're going in a bit of a different direction. What what are you saying is the future of of wrestling now? Where where are we headed? Because people are, I think, tired of this PG sort of era. Well, I mean, I, I think what AEW has done is is show people that there is room for an alternative, and it was time. Mm-hmm. You can't just have a, a monopoly of one wrestling company or you know one rock and roll band or one football team or whatever it may be. So I think having the variety and having another company really was the right place and the right time to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've gone through the roof. I mean, I think here in the UK, our show Dynamite is the number one wrestling show, mm-hmm. more than Raw. Not surprised. More than SmackDown. Same in Canada. Mm -hmm. So that just proves the point that people were ready for an alternative. So um, what's the future of it? I don't know, but I do know that right now I think the business is very strong because of AEW, because there's another place to go. If you get mad at WWE and you're a wrestling fan, well, come check us out. Mm -hmm. If you get mad at AEW, then go watch WWE. So um, it's good to have that. It's good to have that uh, alternative, that that competition, uh, and the choice, mm-hmm. and that's what we provide. We we give people a choice. Uh, if you don't like this, then you can watch us, and that's really proven to be successful. When you come out and 
they play I've, I've seen some videos of you coming out and they played Judas is it in the documentary it wasn't actually this was just me just doing more browsing um, when you'd first dropped Judas it was a real special moment like I could see the smile on your face when you come out and the fans are belting this tune out and singing every it was like 20,000 people singing word for word and that was the first for like wrestling where a wrestler had made a track it's his entrance music and everyone's singing word for word and you had this massive smile on your face like well it's more of like um, acknowledgement mm. you know and you're right it is very unique and it's something that, that no one has ever really had before mm. and that's why like when I, I turned heel uh, a few months ago and people were like well why do you still use Judas it's such a babyface song well it doesn't matter heel or babyface it's a very unique moment that you can only see in AEW mm -hmm. the only place where people are going to be singing along to a wrestler's theme song mm -hmm. especially the theme song that that wrestler sang uh, is here in AEW mm -hmm. so you don't want to cut off your nose to spite your face and to not use Judas anymore would have been a crime and because and we discussed it of using a different song but Tony was like no let's keep using it because you can only see this in AEW and it is very cool and it's one of the reasons why like I said I think Judas went gold um, it was a hit before we started using it in AEW but the fact that you could hear it live every Wednesday with people singing along to it even without music mm -hmm. as we had in Houston last year um, it's very special and you could only see that in our company on our show so yeah it's an amazing it's, it's amazing for me to um, experience that because it's like this is fuck you forget it's my fucking song mm -hmm. and everyone is singing it on their own and they know the words and, and it's just Literally. it's just a really cool there was one moment where you came out without the song yes. and they sang it word for word acapella yeah Right out of the Fucking gate. Fucking crazy. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was um, MGF had, had put this stipulation that I couldn't use my, my song that week. I am sweating like a motherfucker. That's uh, hot in here, right, bro? It is, it is yeah. yeah, I think, you, were you boozing last night? A little bit. That, it, it helps it, it helps come out. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll get, I was drinking that. Uh, <laughs> what was I gonna say? Um, this Tony character, <laughs> how, does he, uh, how does he differ to um, Vince? As, as a boss well he's younger mm. so he's more excited about things mm. um, I love working for Tony Khan he's very passionate he's very smart uh, he's not uh, when, when it first started it's like oh Tony Khan is a money mark as they would say um, meaning he just gives out money for no reason not the case he's very smart with his money he runs Fulham Football Club here uh -huh. He has a lot to do with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the NFL. Mm -hmm. So he knows big business and big sports. And that's how he treats AEW. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, he's he's very passionate. Um, he's got a lot of things on his plate. So sometimes you, it's hard to get in touch with him. Mm -hmm. But he is a great boss because he cares mm -hmm. so much. Vince cares, too. But once again, you're dealing with a guy that's been doing it for 40 years in comparison with a guy who's been doing it for three years. Mm -hmm. So... Um, there's there's a different level of excitement from Tony. Do you still party hard at this age? Well, this it, this is not party. Trust me, it wasn't like I went to the <laughs> This is just really fucking hot. So thank you. Yeah, I just wondered because you are you're a rock star. You, yeah, man, you, you gotta give I, I the rock star a lifestyle. Drink, but I also enjoy the moderation of it. You mm. know, I never had to check myself into rehab or anything. Along those yeah, so. yeah, fair play. Uh, and, and and listen, you can't be on the road and not you know have some fun from here or there but mm. but you got to be cool with it you got to be smart you know 
You're in a nice part of London as well, so you can sort of go out and just enjoy some drinks. Well, you can be relax. in a shitty part of London and still have fun. Oh no, believe me, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome. <laughs> It's a joke. It's a lovely part Yeah, a lot of that moderation doesn't. It's not other other wrestlers have seemed to struggle with that for sure. It's definitely part of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Moderation has always. I think. I guess some of the other wrestlers we've spoken to, like spoken to Undertaker, spoken to Shawn, Shawn Michaels, Michaels as well. Yeah, they've spoken about how other people. I think there was a time where maybe WWE had a bit of a, or wrestling in general had a bit of a problem with people being able to moderate themselves and kind of manage their own what was your sort of um, experience never, that around others I never had a problem with with like the big thing in wrestling that caused a lot of issues was pills mm-hmm. never took pills ever never, I'm never I've never been a drug guy um, so that kind of helped a lot you know uh, drinking sure but but never got into pills and, and the drugs so I think that was something that kind of probably enabled me to still do this mm-hmm. you know 32 years in was I was never an addict for that sort of thing. Um, but when you witness it in other people, like, how, do you think though? I'm, I'm not really trying to get anything specific. I'm just really more talking about your experience of it, where you know you might see someone else struggling with it. Do, did you ever see that, or is it something that people, most people kept quite private in a kept way? Private, you know. And, and listen, it was just part of the culture, right? You know, um, you know, if you look at '80s, '90s wrestling, look at '80s, '90s rock and roll. A lot of those guys died too. It was just, it was different then. Now it's not so much. You know, you don't see a lot of guys doing drugs. Drugs are kind of in the past. A bit blase now, isn't it? You know, it? yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's good. Um, it's funny because people bag on us. Oh, all the guys want to do is play video games now. It's like, well, so? Is that so bad? You know, it's better than going out and getting fucked up every night and, you know, doing things you shouldn't be doing. So um, I think that's another reason why wrestling has changed. And, and guys are so much better athletes now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Just, Ric Flair's going to wrestle again. I saw, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Fair Impressive. play. What is he, 70? Must be. 73. Jesus. But once again, it's the attraction. We'll see mm. how it goes. So um, once again, good for him. You want to do it? Go for it. Who am mm. I to say don't do it? Who am I to say, oh, what, what is he doing? Well, fuck it. Who cares? Yeah, it's very, I think it's very much they're doing it like a, like an old boxer having one last exhibition, which I kind of like the, the idea of that providing obviously he's yeah. safe yeah. yeah people love it yeah. were you on the plane ride from hell no oh, I was not on the I, heard, I, I read about this where um, it all kicked off on a plane ride in the WA and I think Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle were like fighting on a plane and there was fucking all sorts right going next on. to the uh, exit uh, uh, bar uh, <laughs> like, yeah I mean once again the, it was a little bit of a different world uh, back in those days because that was 20 odd years ago yeah. you know guys would get a little bit crazier back then but now um, the guy's a little bit more responsible uh-huh. and um, and that's good it's just yeah. it's more longevity and we had way too many guys dying young uh-huh. and that's kind of thankfully stopped now so yeah it does it's definitely lesson. slowed down obviously we lost uh, Scott Hall in the last year but obviously that was something that was a very long term situation right. with him but he was still from that same generation he was yeah that, that, so uh, you know I, I think that's a good legacy for for the modern day um, wrestler is that the partying and that sort of self abuse has really gone down uh-huh. what about your like family life and that because it must be so hard to maintain you know the, these relationships that mean a lot to you when you're either on the road wrestling or on the road performing in your band well once again it's not as bad as it was because for aw we only work once a week now all right so you're home a lot more and when Fozzie goes on tour obviously you're gone longer but um 
we've got it down to a science now. Like if we're in the States, we do five shows a week with two days off. Mm-hmm. I go home for those two days. So I'm home every week at least. Mm-hmm. We don't go to Europe longer than, than, than two weeks now. Back in the past, it was three and a half, four weeks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's done. I won't do it. So you just kind of prioritize. And when you say to your you know, agents and managers, we're only doing two weeks, it makes for a better tour. They find better gigs. <laughs> You know, whereas if you're saying, you know, three, four weeks, they'll put you in any, you know, we're going we're in Grimsby tonight, mm-hmm. you know, right on. We're in Middlesbrough. And now it's like we're not in those cities um, because we just do bigger ones because there's less dates available. So Newcastle over Middlesbrough, you go to the good bit. Well, yeah, yeah, we actually always go to Newcastle. Newcastle's awesome. But, That's where um, I'm from. That's what I, not, well, I could tell. And, and not that Middlesbrough is not awesome, but you see my point. You have, to, you have to do the bigger gigs because you have less time available. Mm. And so that's you, you pick your spot, which, which really is the smart move to do. It's a little bit like Dave Chappelle says, though. It's like, you know, his kids look at him when he gets back off a tour and they're like, oh, Mr. Promises, back from the road. It's like, you know, yeah. how do your kids see you? You know, are they like, oh, God, it's dad who's that cheesy wrestler? Is it like, oh, no. it's dad who's that cool rock star? So what, what's the no, image? No, it's just dad, you know, and then that's, that's what I've always been to them. Right. I remember my dad played pro hockey for 10 years. Where did he play? Uh, New York in- Rangers, LA Kings, and, and St. Louis was in the NHL. Wow. And I was, you know, never really understood what the big fuss was. Oh, your dad plays in the NHL. It's amazing. Yeah, but he's just my dad, you know. And um, now I realize how cool it is. Now I go on YouTube and look up Ted Irvin and the goals that he scored and the fights that he was in and all that sort of thing. But to me, it was always just dad. And that's the same with my kids. None of them show much interest in wrestling. They think it's cool and they they think the music is cool. But like if I, you know, uh, like, dad, do you know that Snoop Dogg follows you on Instagram? <laughs> yeah, I've known Snoop Dogg. For, you know Snoop Dogg? Yeah. Fuck, I know Snoop Dogg. Like, he's fucking always cool. Are we best friends? No, but we know each other. And that makes me cool to them, that that I know these famous people. But other than that, I'm just dad, and that's the way it should be, and that's mm-hmm. the way I like it. What kind of dad would you say you are? A good one. Mm-hmm. Involved. Um, do you think that do you see bits of yourself in because you're a creative guy you're an athletic guy are you looking for like little elements of that in your kids a little bit but but kids kids need to find their way need Mm -hmm. to find their own path and like I said none of them have ever shown any interest in being a wrestler or being a musician or being in the public eye and that's fine if 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 none of them do that Mm -hmm. that's cool they'll find their own paths of mm-hmm. what they want to be and what they want to do. So um, I think what I've imparted into all of them is, is confidence mm-hmm. and um, the ambition to to find what they want to do. And, and, and the I guess the, uh, the motto, if you have a dream, follow it and we'll support you a thousand percent, whatever that dream might be. It might not be pro wrestling or going to music, but if it's wanting to be a veterinarian or whatever, let's mm-hmm. let's go for that. So I think I think my kids have always known that they got a great support system to go and find themselves and whatever they want to do, they can do it. Do they ever come and travel with you on tours and stuff? They don't. People ask that, but it's no fun for them. If I have my kids, what would they be doing right now? That's shit it, question, you're right. Yeah, the, it, it's the, not but, a shit question, but it's just one of those things where like life on the road is not easy. And kids, especially, they like uh, routines mm-hmm. and they want to be around their friends. They don't want to be hanging around with their dad, you know, waiting around all day or hanging around in some city or something. That Watching they want a to, podcast. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah, want right. to be hanging out with their friends and doing their own thing. That's right. the way it should be. What's your creative process? Because clearly 
you have a lot of creativity to reinvent yourself as a wrestler, to think of lyrics, to write songs, all of these things. How do you come up with things? I don't know. It's the muse. You really? know what I mean? You know, it, it's, I remember reading a Stephen King story where people, where do you get your ideas? And it's like, I don't know. Where do the ideas come from? Uh-huh. They just come. Um, we did Blood and Guts the other day and I, I came up with a whole finishing sequence while I was kickboxing. It just came into my head. And I remember it was like, one, two, and you kind of go into another world for a bit and you have this whole idea. Same thing with Fozzie, with a song, lyrics, or a concept, mm-hmm. a stage show, a set list. It just kind of comes to you. Um, if you try and come up with an idea and sit there with a pencil and a paper and force yourself, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? If you can't think of a, a finish for a match or a lyric for a song, then just leave it. It always comes. It always does. I feel like it's a gift, imagination. It's like some just have it, some don't. Yeah, there I agree. are some people who, as you say, with those uh, older bands that are still doing it, they just it just keeps coming and coming because it's just they're, yeah. they're connected. Are you a bit of an anglophile? Like, do you, I asked you that before, but I don't. I think we stopped. But like, you, whenever I watch you speak, you always have these little English words that you drop in. Uh, well, so I'm from Canada, right? Yeah. So Canada right. and England are basically sister countries. And we have the CBC, which is our version of the BBC. So I grew up with English TV shows, English comedy. What sort of things did you watch when you well, were... Well, Faulty Towers is the greatest show of all time. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> yeah. It still is. So I mean, it is. Yeah. Everything that Ricky Gervais does is based on Basil Faulty. Yes. I mean, Why do you have to stay for just an hour? This, we could, now we're unlocking <laughs> this, the good shit. This is the next, this yeah. is the next show. So, um, but growing up with that, you have that English slant to it the sentiment of it yeah yeah you kind of did something where once where you were you were coming out of uh, coming out as your entrance but they followed you through the back and you got lost or something like that you had that basically like the character you were playing it was kind of gervaisy in that you were delusional that that was spinal tap yeah that came from from spinal tap which is another kind of english influenced comedy um and you'll see a lot of that throughout my whole career mm-hmm. and in my whole kind of genetic makeup is is the English sense of humor which is basically the Canadian sense of humor where you're very dry uh, but you play things straight you always play it straight and that's one thing I love I do it all the time in, in AEW if you ask anybody that works with me Inner Circle guys Jericho Appreciation Society guys play it straight if you make it into a joke it's not funny if you play it straight that's where the humor comes yeah and, yes and 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 that's um it reminds me of a, a scene that you and Stone Cold did where clearly well you the heel and that's why I like you when you're the heel because you can say the most ridiculous shit with a straight face and you could say that Austin's like looking at you and you're saying things and you know like he can do it too though that's his sense yeah, of humor as well yeah. and when you get those type of guys that's where the true chemistry comes oh, it was comes. so good man and you could see he almost burst yeah, as well. yeah well, I like watching that that's what's fun bit what's yeah. Steve like because like he obviously changed wrestling like the biggest guy ever very intense Mm. uh very funny and a great guy he's one of the few guys that still picks up a phone and calls somebody Uh he'll he'll call me and when he calls you you better have 60 minutes to talk because it's a long conversation not a texting guy Uh he wants to talk to you he's old school yeah and uh yeah great guy one of my all-time favorite 
people that I've met in the wrestling business for sure. The Hart family, they trained you. I've heard about the dungeon and Old Man Hart and all of that. What was that experience like learning it from some of the greatest? Well, the thing is, the reason why um, I've always been good in the ring is I was tr trained properly and I had a great foundation. You have to learn your basics. You build a house. If you don't have a good foundation, the house collapses. So it's great to know how to do a moonsault off the top rope and do a shooting star press. But if you don't know how to do a lockup, it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And you know, you'll see that in a lot of modern wrestlers is the high spots are all there and the athleticism is there. But I, I'll watch someone lock up sometimes and go, I'm not into this match. What do you mean? It's only been three seconds. Yeah, but the lockup sucked. It started shitty for me. Mm -hmm. So I learned the foundations properly from the hearts and from Calgary, which is a great wrestling city. Which hearts were you closest with? Um, really none of them. Mm -hmm. They're a very strange group. I'd probably say Brett more than I mean, Natty, Natty, probably maybe. When you say they're strange, in what way? That's a whole other podcast. They, 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 it's, a, it's a large family that grew up in the wrestling business. So. You know, um, I'm surprised Brett became the star he did. Actually, when you when you see him talk now, or even when I watch his prime, he wasn't the talker. I suppose it was his in ring ability that that gave him that career. Yeah, and there was a certain charisma that he had. Yeah, you know, he had a look as well, obviously. Yeah, and, and not everybody everybody has their own style, and he he knew who he was as a performer, mm -hmm. and knew who he was as a character, and was able to portray that. And that's the most important thing. Not everybody's the same character, nor should they be. Do you think he, the screw job out of interest, did, do you think he took that a little too much to heart, no pun intended? To him, no. To him, it meant everything. Mm -hmm. So I can't talk about how Brett, you know, took it too seriously or didn't too seriously because if I was him, I would probably feel the exact same way. Really? Okay. Last question. How would you like to be remembered? Just as somebody who always entertained... Um, and always gave a thousand percent in everything that I do because I take great uh, responsibility in knowing that people are A, giving me their time to watch a match, to listen to a song, to come to a show, to listen to a podcast, whatever it is, and B, paying money. Uh, I don't take that lightly. You know, I remember when I was first starting out in wrestling and somebody would be like, this match sucks. And the guy would go, yeah, well, I got your money, kid, or whatever. I never looked at that. Well, we've got their money. Who cares about the product? People work too hard to feed their families and to make ends meet. So if they have extra money to, to be entertained, then I, bet I damn well better entertain them. And if you've been out drinking, excuse me, the night before, or if you're tired, if you're pissed off, or whatever it may be, suck it up. You've got a responsibility because, you know, these people have been waiting for, I don't know, six months, three months, four months, looking forward to this show. So if you go on stage and you're like, fuck, I got to sing Judas again. They've never heard Judas live. They want to sing it and they want to be there. So you have to give your all to everything that you do. Um, so, yeah, I, w I would like to be remembered as someone who just gave it his all to make sure that you were entertained. And if you've ever been entertained by Chris Jericho in any way, shape, or form and enjoyed what I did, well, then I take great pride in that. 
Certainly have. Thank you very much. That was Chris Jericho on the True Geordie podcast. Uh, we'll put the links in the description below if you want to go to see Chris live or you want to follow the wrestling. Yes. If you want to be entertained by Chris, uh, yeah, let, let him entertain you. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the legacy. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Cheers.